0: I'd invite you to turn with me to John 14 and then also John 20. John 20 is the passage we're going to focus on, but I just want to read a few verses from John 14 to kind of prepare us for that passage. We've been looking at what happens on the other side of Easter. We noted last week that that Sunday, while we come... Easter morning and celebrate and worship and are joyful in the fact that our Lord is risen, for the disciples, it was a little different. It was confusing. It was fearful at times because they hadn't seen Jesus yet. And we looked last week at the first appearance of Jesus to Cleopas and the other disciple as they're heading to the road to Emmaus, and then he then they take off once he leaves them and go back to Jerusalem and find the disciples gathered there. And while they're gathered there, Jesus appears to them. That's the scene that we're going to look at this morning. And then we're going to add a second appearance to that. That happens a week later. And, uh, and spend a little time talking about, on the other side of Easter, is Transformation. Transformation. Now I want to read from John 14. That backs us up a few days. Jesus is in the uh, upper room with his disciples and they're celebrating the Passover. And in John 13, he's just uh, welcomed them in by washing their feet. Uh, They're getting ready to celebrate the Passover. And and as they're doing so, Jesus starts talking about what's going to come. That the next day he's going to die on a cross, and he talks about resurrection, too, but, but they hear the cross part, I think, most of all. And then he tells them that, in fact, not only is that the case, but one of them is going to betray him and another is going to be not, deny him. Well, this is a very sobering, very sobering for the disciples, and so Jesus understands that, that they're very troubled by this. And so in John 14, 1-6, he says this, <clears throat> "...do not let your hearts be troubled." Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, there's great comfort in these words, but I want to pay attention to the, the person who speaks out because it's usually Peter. In fact, tonight we're going we're to hear Peter uh, speaking out on behalf of the rest of the disciples, but this time it's Thomas. And Thomas is showing some confusion and showing some doubts. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I wanted to read that uh, partially because we're going to now turn to another passage in which Thomas is featured. So if you turn ahead with me to John 20, verse 19. <clears throat> John 20, verse 19. Now we get to Easter Sunday evening. It is evening, thus the, the, the photo I have of the uh, uh, Jerusalem in the evening. I didn't have any pictures of Jesus in the upper room that I could share with you. So let's read that. Verse 19 of John 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. With that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, which means the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen, had not seen, and have yet believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life In His name, as we come to this passage, let's ask the Holy Spirit's guidance in understanding it. Holy Spirit, as you allow John to record these words in faithfulness and perfection for our benefit, we pray now that you would take these words, this event, all that's going on here, and apply it specifically to our lives. Help each one of us individually and all of us corporately to learn what we are to learn from this and most importantly how we are to act as a result of it we pray this in jesus name amen the king is alive so so say his followers he's been seen by various people in various places it's big news But I'm more than slightly skeptical. If the king's alive, where is he? Why doesn't he show himself for more than a few brief moments to a few individuals? I think they're just hallucinating or imagining things. Unless I see him with my own eyes, I'm sorry. I don't believe it. The king, Elvis Presley, is not alive but Jesus the king is alive. How do we know? What makes his situation any different than those Elvis sightings ever since his death? The disciples, Thomas, not to mention the religious leaders and Romans, had heard the reports, they'd heard the rumors, yet they were skeptical. What changed their minds? I want to suggest to you that wherever Jesus confronted people personally with the reality of His resurrection, not only were minds changed, but lives were transformed. One of the greatest examples of that in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. As he makes his way to Jericho and is confronted by the living Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever Jesus confronted people personally with the reality of His resurrection... Not only were minds changed, but lives were transformed. And so the question we need to ask as we look at this passage is, have I been transformed by a confrontation with the living Lord Jesus Christ? I want to look at three different groups or or individuals that were transformed. First, the disciples. They were transformed from fear to courage. How? Frederick Buechner writes, They were sitting together in a crowded room with the door locked and the shades drawn, scared sick that they'd be the ones to get it next, when suddenly Jesus came in. He wasn't a ghost. You could see the wallpaper through. And he wasn't just a figment of their imagination, because they were all too busy imagining the horrors that were all too likely in store for themselves to imagine anything much about anyone else. He said, Shalom, then showed them enough of where the Romans had let him have it to convince them that he was as real as they were, if not more so. He breathed the Holy Spirit on them and gave them a few instructions to go with it, and then left. I think in that scene, four things transformed the disciples by confrontation with Jesus. The first was his presence. On evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus personally came to them, albeit through locked doors and stood among them. He didn't leave them guessing. He didn't leave them skeptical of the rumors. Everyone that is claimed to be the Messiah like a David Koresh of Waco, Texas fame, or, or any others through the years, none of them have ever reappeared and spent any time with their followers. Jesus personally came to them. He didn't leave them guessing. Secondly, he offered his peace. Peace be with you. And then again in verse 21, peace be with you. Now, earlier in the upper room, he had promised his peace. My peace I leave with you. He promised it twice at the end of chapter 14 and chapter 16. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give like the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Well, here again, he speaks of his, his, speaks his peace twice, perhaps to remind them of that promise, perhaps to confront them with a new and eternal promise, a new and eternal peace. That they had never dared believe possible. He reinforced it by showing his hands and and sighed and gave them not only peace but joy, we're told. Thirdly, he gives his purpose. Verse 21 As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. His purpose was not to let them off the hook from mission, he wasn't back to stay but to recommission them. To recommission them? Those who slept while he prayed? Those who ran when he was arrested? Those who denied him while he was on trial? Those who forsook him as he died a God-forsaken death on the cross? His purpose was to recommission them. His purpose was to also reassure them and encourage and entrust them with his word And with his work. And then finally, he transforms them by his power. Verse 22. With that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He not only entrusts them, but equips them, breathing his Spirit on them to begin the transfer of power that would be complete 50 days later on Pentecost. You only have to read the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles, which should probably be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, to see the transformation. This this motley group of, of fishermen and tax collectors, of cowards and outcasts, began defying religious leaders and judges and death itself. They now had great courage because they had been transformed by the living Lord Jesus Christ. A second person that was transformed with Thomas, but he wasn't there that evening. And so John has to fast forward a week to talk a little bit about Thomas. Frederick Buechner writes, Nobody says where Thomas was at the time. When he finally returned and told them, they told him what had happened, his reaction was just about what they might have expected. He said that unless Jesus came back again, so he could not only see the nail marks for himself, but actually touch them, He was afraid that, as much as he hated to say so, he he simply couldn't believe what they had seen was anything more than the product of wishful thinking or an optical illusion of an unusually vivid kind. We call him Doubting Thomas, but I think he needs a new PR man. He's got a lot of bad press over the last couple thousand years. I, I like Thomas. He's a lot like me. He wouldn't believe Elvis is alive either. He's a lot like us. He's like that little boy who met the first president, George Bush, and didn't believe it was him. And when Bush showed him a copy of his driver's license, he asked for a second piece of ID. Thomas wanted several pieces of ID. He not only wanted to see Jesus, but to touch him, maybe even run scientific experiments. What transforms a Thomas? Frederick Biechner goes on to talk about Thomas's track record of skepticism. He writes Imagination was not Thomas's long suit. He called a spade a spade. He was a realist. He didn't believe in fairy tales, and if anything else came up that he didn't believe in or couldn't understand, his questions could be pretty direct. There was that last time he and the others had supper with Jesus, for instance. Jesus was talking about dying, and he said he would be leaving them soon, but it wouldn't be forever. He said he'd get things ready for them as soon as he got to where he was going, and when their time finally came to, they'd all be together again. They knew the way to where he was going, he said, and someday they'd be there with him and themselves. themselves. Nobody else breathed the word. But Thomas couldn't hold back. When he got right down to it, he said, he personally had no idea where Jesus was going. And he didn't know the way to get there either. I am the way, was what Jesus said to him. And although Thomas let it go at that, you can't help feeling that he found the answer less than satisfactory. Jesus wasn't a way, he was a man. And it was too bad he so often insisted in talking in riddles. Then in the next few days, all the things that everybody could see were going to happen, happened. And Jesus was dead, just as he had said he'd be. That much Thomas was sure of, he'd been on hand himself. There was no doubt about it. And then the thing that nobody ever had been able to quite believe would happen, happened too. So what transforms a Thomas? What transforms a Thomas is the compassion of a Jesus. We may say, well, all the audacity of Thomas to impose conditions on Jesus' resurrection. Yet Jesus condescended to them all. Look at verse 27. He said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Jesus doesn't condemn us for our doubts. But he understands. And that's a real comfort to us Thomas's. Yet he also says to us, as he did to Thomas, now that you've seen and experienced me, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. This this may be one of the richest confessions of faith in all of the Bible <clears throat> because it comes from one who had experienced the strongest of doubts. Jesus calls all of us Thomases to make this confession. Notice it's a personal confession. My Lord and my God. G.C. Burkauer once wrote, The powers of disbelief and doubt disappear in a personal encounter with Christ. But there's a third group that's also transformed by meeting Jesus, by being confronted with Jesus, and that's us who are transformed from death to life. What? You say you haven't seen Jesus? You weren't with the disciples that evening? You know, it's easy to envy the disciples. Maybe even want to trade places with Thomas. As Jesus confronts Comforts and encourages them, however. He also gives us a dose. Did you hear it? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. We can't see Jesus in his resurrected body any more than we can see Washington crossing the Delaware or Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door. But others did see and were witnesses for our sake. We don't need to see Jesus. The disciples were not saved by seeing, but believing. John tacks on at the end of this event, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John explains, we saw so you can see, albeit secondhand, so you can see and believe and have life in Jesus' name. And so we have the word of these witnesses, the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Christ himself living in us so that we might believe and have life in him. So we do see with the eyes of faith. And we do know Jesus through his word. And we do encounter him by his spirit. And as we're confronted by the witness of word and spirit, our lives are transformed. And so we ask ourselves today during this Eastertide, have I personally met the risen Christ? How has he transformed my life? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these appearances, these reminders of who you are, these reminders of of the fact that you didn't remain in the tomb, but you're alive, and, and your life proves that what you did on the cross for us was accepted by the Father, And it also proves that one day we will join you in having transformed bodies and living forever with you. We thank you for those promises. Help us to continue in a, a walk with you that we might continually be transformed to be more and more into the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you respond with me as we sing together amazing grace, amazing grace? The words will be on your screen.